you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Jason Greenblatt. With tensions rising across the world, diplomacy is needed perhaps now more than ever. During my time as former White House Middle East envoy and as one of the chief architects of peace between Israel and its Arab neighbors, I've had the chance to witness the power of diplomacy firsthand, and today, I would like to share that perspective with you. Shalom, salam, and welcome to The Diplomat. It was great to have Her Excellency Mariam El-Mihiri, the Minister of Climate Change and Environment in the United Arab Emirates, as a guest today. Climate change is on everybody's mind. Energy prices now more than ever. Food security, water security, again, always important, but now more than ever, even more important. The United Arab Emirates, the UAE, is a place that I hold dear in my heart because of my work for several years in the White House. Amazing country, amazing, courageous leadership. Um, you know, signing the Abraham Accords was a huge development in the Middle East and changed so many lives, millions and millions of lives. And hopefully it's just the beginning on this long, complicated, tangled road of peace. But Minister Al-Mahiri, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all our listeners. So let's start by talking about you and this unique role. Uh, Minister of Climate Change, really interesting title. When did the UAE create this position and how did you end up in this position? Okay. So first of all, the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment was established in 2016, replacing the Ministry of Environment and Water. And uh, basically, it represents an important milestone in the UAE's journey in really putting climate action and uh, environmental protection at the heart of what we do. And it really basically formalized national efforts uh, to address uh, climate change and also ensure that we're mitigating its impacts um, on ecosystems and economies as well. Um, so I myself, um, uh, my father is Emirati, my mom is German. And um, basically, I grew up with the best of both worlds, I guess. Um, my mother coming from a farmer's family. My father, if you look back, it came up from the from a fisheries family. Um, so basically, I learned a lot about sustainability. I learned a lot about respecting food. I learned a, a lot about appreciating what we have. And I also learned about the hardships of um, how to be sustainable in hot, arid climates like here in the UAE. So um, Basically, I studied in Germany. I studied mechanical engineering at the Rheinisch Westfälische Technische Hochschule, also known as the RWTH Aachen. And um, I did mechanical engineering. I then came over back to the UAE to work here. And um, I started... Uh, a hobby of diving in the sea and really looking at the jewels that we have in the sea. And I was always so surprised at what I could see that actually lives um, in the sea and that can actually withstand some of the, the range of temperatures that the sea goes through and this, the salinity that we have. Um, and I guess that was the journey or the first part of my journey and my career uh, in becoming who I am today. 
Um, I started off as a junior staff at the then Ministry of Environment and Water. I was then Assistant Undersecretary for Water Resources and Nature Conservation at that ministry. Uh, then I was appointed Minister of State for Food Security in 2017. Um, after that, I also received the water security um, mandate. And then in September 2021, I was appointed a cabinet member and minister for climate change and environment, taking on all the other mandates that I had before. So food security is also part of what it is I'm doing today. So it's very exciting because um, us being the Ministry of Climate Change since 2016, we're actually the first in the Middle East of doing so. And I myself being a minister for climate change and environment uh, is also uh, a first in, in the region as well. And it really shows that the UAE um, in all the steps that we've taken on our journey for climate action, this was also one of them. So you talk about food security and, and water security for that matter. And it, it's interesting to me that we now have to tie the word security to those items. In fact, I was reading that even our in the U.S., our National Security Council is now tying water security to national security. Let, let's talk about the food tech hub in Dubai, which is intended, as I understand it, to boost the UAE's food security, the food valley. Tell us about that and what it does. So before I go into what food tech uh, valley is, Jason, it's really important to understand that water Energy and food are very much interlinked. When you um, uh, you need water and and energy to grow food, uh, so these three elements are extremely interlinked, and that's why when they talk about securities and each of these elements, it is of national security. When you think of water, when you think of energy, when you think of food, it all has a relation to a national security of the country. Now for us, uh, a food tech valley um, is, it, the idea came about, I mean, I visited so many places around the world that have created these ecosystems. Um, uh, the US, for example, has the Silicon Valley. And this is, this is basically, I like to call it a playground where you develop technologies, you develop innovations for, for future-oriented uh, um, uh, solutions. And this is exactly uh, why we wanted to, uh, um, or why we launched Food Tech Valley was about how the UAE is taking steps to transition its food systems into more sustainable ones. We have something called the Mazdar City here in the UAE. Mazdar was established in 2006 and really helped spur the UAE on its energy transition. And we want to do the same with Futek Valley. So Futek Valley is um, an 18 million square foot area. It will have an innovation center in it. It's being developed now as we speak. We're now uh, finalizing some anchor clients to come into the space um, it's really a, a first of its kind ag city uh, or ag tech city. Um, and it's really going to spearhead um, a regional transformation to more sustainable food systems. And is it the UAE's intention to become a global superpower in food tech, a regional superpower? Tell us how that fits into the overall plan. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, um, when I was appointed Minister of State for Food Security, Jason, in 2017, um, um, uh, His Highness, uh, the Prime Minister, uh, said to me, Mariam, I need you to focus on three things. We need to have a plan, we need to advance R&D, and we need to adopt technology and innovation. So with that, we developed a national food security strategy. And uh, this strategy is all about ensuring that the UAE becomes um, a world-leading hub for innovation-driven food security. And this is why uh, uh, Food Tech Valley is such an important ecosystem to, to really advance our next generation innovative solutions for climate resilient food systems. And that's why uh, we believe Food Tech Valley is not just going to serve the UAE, but is going to be um, a, a super powerhouse, as you said, to, to uh, push this transformation that, that is needed. And especially we are a hot, arid um, country. We are, we're water scarce. Um, we are, we don't have much arable land. And this is why it's really important that we um, uh, spur on the innovation and technology to help other countries that have the same kind of challenges that we do in ensuring that we look at our food systems and make them more sustainable. Were you able to be ahead of the curve? You know, we have supply chain disruptions all over the world. We're hit very hard by it. First, of course, by COVID, now by the war, by the vicious yeah. attack of Ukraine. Were you able to get ahead of that or you two have uh, had challenges? So um, it was really interesting, Jason, because as I said, 2017, I was appointed. 2018, we launched the National Food Security Strategy of the UAE. 2019, we finalized the governance model of how we are going to implement the strategy and what happened 2020? We got hit by COVID, just like everybody else. And in a way, it was a test for us to see how resilient and how good the strategy was and all the programs we had um, uh, planned for it. And so we were put to the test, basically. And as, as you know, um, food security, when you look at it, you have to look at a lot of uh, aspects of food security. You're looking at the accessibility of food. You're looking at the availability of food. You're looking at the affordability and you're looking at the utilization. And with that, we made sure that in our plan, we're taking that holistic approach. And so when COVID hits, uh, we, uh, because we had already finalized the governance um, and the most like the heart of the governance was the Emirates Food Security Council. And basically this council is made up of all the relevant, um, let's say, relevant players and stakeholders in the food security domain of the UAE. And with that, we were able to uh, take quick decisions on all the uh, let's say, hindernesses or, or all the, the restrictions that came about through, through COVID. So some countries uh, restricted their exports. Um, uh, then uh, some uh, um, of the ag tech companies were not able to get supplies of certain items for, for agriculture inputs. So this council was really used to communicate quickly. And by the way, this was key through COVID communication and having the political will. And so we had set up something called the evaluation and monitoring team. They were always in touch with the customs to make sure that all food items that were main food items for the country that they were coming in at a certain frequency that we were used to. As soon as we saw the frequency was stopping or reducing, 
we would take action. Um, we also were very much monitoring what was happening globally through the uh, global food balance sheets and the Amos reports, which are the agriculture and market info systems. Um, we were in touch with the international organization, the FAO, uh, the World Health um, Organization. We were also tapping into the our food security alliance companies. Um, these are companies from the UAE that have invested uh, outside of the UAE in food security endeavors and basically made sure that we were in touch with them in case we had um, any supplies stopping of certain uh, items that they could also supply us. We also uh, got in touch with all the local producers and tried to help them uh, if there were any bottlenecks for them to increase their capacities. Um, we also adopted a coordination plan with all retailers um, in the UAE. So that was about 80% of all re retailers of the UAE to make sure we had coordination. We were talking to each other. We used repatriation flights to bring in food to, to the country. Um, we used our ambassadors uh, that were outside in different countries to ensure they communicated with us if certain restrictions were happening. So, it, and, and one of the main things as well, Jason, is that our leadership communicated always with the public. So we were always in touch with them. Uh, their highnesses always said to the people, medicine and food is a red line. We will always ensure that you have what you need when it comes to food and medicine. And with that, there was a sense of comfort uh, upon the people. So there wasn't the, um, uh, going to the um, supermarkets and buying large quantities. And so those things didn't happen. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm really thankful to say that through this coordination that we had, through the excellent political will, um, we were really able to um, showcase that the plan we had was resilient and also the, the governance was effective. Um, because we didn't have a day where uh, any main food items, I'm talking about main food security items, not all foods, but main food items were always on the shelves for, 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 for the community. So it was a great test. <laughs> we're going to take a break. You have been listening to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Well, we're talking about the leadership. So some people say the UAE and countries of that size fared reasonably well during COVID because they're small. I would argue the opposite. I would argue it could be a small country and fail too. But on the contrary, I think the leadership 
took a very, very strong approach and communication. And I managed to get into the UAE several times during COVID. And I was amazed how things were as normal as they could be. I think the only thing that struck me as strange in a good way was how they enforced the rules. You know, the police would come over and, yeah. sir, please do this. Please put on your mask. You know, you wouldn't see that all the time, but um, I yeah. think they did great. And I, one of the, maybe the best example I can think of in terms of the leadership is seeing Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed go to get his own inoculation. You know, he gets his, he gets in the car, gets yeah. on, the, on the driver's <laughs> line and got his shot. And, you know, I think it, it starts from the top. So I've always been very impressed by the leadership. Um, yeah, we, we very much, first of all, they, we very much look up to our leadership. Uh, they lead by example, they walk the talk and they're so close to us. Um, it's really, I can only say it's a blessing for us and even myself as, as a woman, I'm, I'm empowered. Um, I get to, to express my ideas. Um, and they, they just, it's, it's just a blessing to have such leadership and going through COVID. I think the UAE, I mean, just think of expo that happened here in the UAE. Um, I mean, we were over the 23 million, um, visitors that visited expo. I mean, you can think of all the, all the back planning that was happening, all the, the, the procedures that had to be followed at the airport, at, at the expo grounds. And, you know, I can only say thank you to all those that actually made this a success and, and, and the leadership played a huge role in this. Indeed. And, and speaking of leadership, again, without the bold and courageous leadership, there would be no Abraham Accords. How, how have the Abraham Accords factored in to the work that you do? Has there been cooperation with Israel, with the Israeli government, with Israeli companies on what you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been a game changer, uh, Jason. And um, I mean, some, I've got some numbers here. Um, I mean, just uh, two weeks ago uh, between Israel and UAE is now a free trade agreement. Uh, this was uh, completed after a five month uh, negotiation. Um, we've had um, well over 250,000 uh, Israelis visits here, uh, the UAE. Um, there's been already trade exceeded over $300 million with over 120 agreements already in place between the two countries. I myself visited Israel um, last year with a delegation. Um, and uh, also my counterpart has visited the UAE. We've had several talks and projects are undergoing. As you can imagine, when you're talking on the, the, the sector that I take care of, especially on the agriculture, uh, Israel really leads um, uh, the innovation and technology part. Uh, for us, we have the state-of-the-art um, uh, logistical infrastructure and the access to uh, so many markets. So it's really a win-win situation. And you're going to see a lot of projects happening uh, between us. The UAE and others in the region are diversifying away from oil. How helpful is that for what you do and how much of a role does your office play in that? So just to give our listeners a little bit of an idea of, um, so we, we started our journey on diversifying away from oil and gas already a good 16 years ago. Um, our, our leadership saw the writing on the wall and said, you know, we, we have oil and gas, but we need to start investing and diversifying from oil and gas because eventually we want to move away from it. 
And so it's been a journey we've taken. We've, we, we were the first in the region to sign and ratify the Paris Agreement. Uh, we set up Mazdar City, as I spoke about, as the, the ecosystem of developing uh, renewables and clean energy. Um, we host IRENA headquarters here in, in the UAE. Um, we announced a net zero by 2050 strategic initiative just before COP26. Um, so we've taken so many steps and now um, and, and our journey of diversifying away from oil and gas. And we have targets in place. So by 2050, um, we want to reach uh, 50% clean and renewables um, energy in our energy mix. Um, we're also well underway to reach uh, the 14 gigawatts clean and renewable target by 2030. Uh, we have, uh, or we're operating right now, the three largest in capacity, lowest in cost solar parks in the world. Uh, we also have a nuclear power plant uh, that's up and running. Um, uh, and we've also invested a lot, not just in the country, but also outside of the UAE in over 70 countries in renewable, in, in renewable energy um, facilities. So we've really become... Um, a knowledge hub for the renewables. Um, and this is, so in our way, we're ramping up our clean and renewables um, using, let's say, using the money we get from the oil and gas, ramping up our renewables because we've got targets that we want to move away from oil and gas. But at the same time, we're also decarbonizing our oil and gas sector uh, because this is also, uh, we believe this as, as global uh, responsible citizens, this is something we have to do. Um, ADNOC, our national oil company, just of this year, 1st of January, is now operating only on clean and renewable energy. So decarbonizing its, um, its, its activities um, and is actually one of the lowest uh, carbon emission um, uh, oil and gas companies now in, in the world. So, so we're, taking, we're taking a two-pronged approach. We're ramping up our renew clean and renewables. We're decarbonizing our oil and gas and eventually going to move away from it. At the same time, you need to understand, Jason, that um, as long as the world needs oil and gas, we will supply it. But we are taking very responsible steps and in investing heavily in decarbonizing as much as possible and also investing in clean and renewables and also helping other countries with certain funds that we've set up to help them in the transition in, in, in this energy transition that we all are working towards under the climate agenda. So that's really a great answer to the cynics and the skeptics who say that countries like the UAE and others who are oil producing, hydrocarbon producing nations shouldn't be a part of the yeah. climate change fight. Uh, I'll say that these are also the same people who, when gas prices, gasoline prices go up to over $4 a gallon, they right away turn to you guys and say, please pump more or not even please pump more. Right. So a lot of cynicism there, but it sounds it like the UAE has been on top of this for quite some time, not only in its own country in terms of diversification, but helping others as well. So the attacks yeah. that say that the UAE shouldn't be part of this conversation to me, sound very hollow. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you something just for the listeners to think about. Having or let's say producing the materials you need for the renewables and clean sector, you, you need oil and gas to do that. So you need the equipment, the facilities, but you, you need the energy 
to pump into to making those that equipment to be able to have your equipment that that you need for the renewable sector you cannot just switch off oil and gas we need to be very realistic about this that this is a transition this is a transition and yes we must take responsible steps about it but we must be realistic in that i mean we're facing it right now we're not ready yet we're not ready to switch off oil and gas and it's really important to understand that every country is at a different level and we need to support each other, but we need to be realistic and pragmatic about it. Last question. Tell me what your two most important goals are uh, that you'd like to achieve while you hold this post. So first of all, I'm extremely excited that um, uh, I'm now planning with the rest of the country uh, for COP28. It's such an exciting endeavor. Um, I uh, got my position as Minister of Climate Change and Environment just a few days before COP26. So I was able to experience COP26, and I'm really excited and honored as well that the UAE has has um, won to host COP28 in 2023. So I'm really excited about that. We really want to deliver an inclusive um, uh, event. We want to make sure that youth are at the heart of this event. I'm, I'm making sure they're in their conversation and our conversations also as we speak now, as we develop the net zero by 2050 strategic uh, initiative in the UAE, the youth are part of co-creating, co-developing this, this initiative. We want to make sure this is a solutions-based COP um, and really, you know, showcase to the world that yes, as an oil and gas country, we are committed. We are committed to this journey. We see this as a journey of opportunity, and we see this as um, a journey of, of responsibilities that we have to do. Um, so I'm very excited about that. I'm also excited about the whole conversation, not just on the energy transition, but also thinking of food systems transformation. Uh, I really believe that um, fixing the food systems will... Um, will fix a lot of the world order problems that we have. Uh, um, and I think uh, going on about food systems and understanding how we can make them more sustainable, how we can stop malnutrition, how we can stop and, um, and hunger. These are all important elements um, of, of transforming the food systems. So I'm, I'm really excited about the journey ahead. I, I know that the buzzwords of food security, climate change are, are, are really hot topics and, and my ministry is responsible for, for all that. So, so I'm, I'm really excited about um, what we have uh, uh, or the opportunities that we have in the future. And I'm excited about the partnerships that we can build from it. Um, Aim for C was one of those beautiful partnerships that we're spearheading now with the U.S., um, we're working now also on a global mangrove alliance. Uh, so there's a lot of exciting things happening. Um, and we've got really good momentum going on. So oh, very excited. Well, Minister Al-Mahiri, thank you. Thank you for joining me on The Diplomat. Thanks for all your hard work in keeping the planet cleaner and keeping us safer. And uh, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, everyone. And please take care of yourselves. Really happy that Her Excellency Mariam Al-Mahiri, the Minister of Climate Change and Environment in the United Arab Emirates, joined me today for the podcast to talk about things that are really important for people today. Food security, water security, energy pricing, climate change, important topics for today. Thanks for joining. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat. 
brought to you by Newsweek.